God is faithful. He is a good God. Well, we're going to continue a little bit further in our series that we call The Effects of Offense. Uh, let's go ahead and put up Proverbs 18, 19. We'll read a, a few scriptures that we read before, and then we'll go a little bit further tonight. But if you haven't heard any of the other ones, I go back and listen to it. We're not going to repeat everything, and they cover different aspects, and I encourage you, you know, they will, they will be a blessing to you. Some people get the idea, you know, when you talk about offense, that's not one of the subjects I think people are really excited about necessarily, but this is the type of thing that can save your life, and it can help every area, because we are tempted to be offended, and offense can get us off track in our lives. It can get us off track in any area. It can get you off track uh, in your relationships at home, at work, at church. It can get you off track uh, disconnecting from um, organizations you should be with. It can get you to uh, get you in a position where you are actually robbed of what God would be would want to do for you. But God is all powerful, but he gave men a free will. And so do you realize that even though he is all-powerful and has the desire to help us, a man or woman, you know, men in the general sense, mankind, a human being can get themselves in a position where God himself cannot help them. That's a strong statement. But if he gave you a free will and me a free will and we decide to make a decision to put ourselves in a position that is opposed to what he wants. He can only do so much, otherwise he would have to override your will. And he won't do it. Does that make sense? You see, this: people will go to hell, and God cannot help them if they will not decide to follow, to, to, to uh, receive Jesus. Because if he did, he would be overriding the laws of the universe. He said he has put certain things in place, and one of those things, he's given a man a free will. He will do everything within his power to influence and to bring people and the word across those people's path as much as possible. That's why it's important to pray for people, because you give God an avenue to help them when they won't reach out themselves. That's why it's important to pray. We say, well, I pray God, is, Jesus has already done everything. Yes, he has, but it can't be appropriated for everybody automatically. We have to appropriate it, or somebody else has to appropriate it on a person's behalf. That's why when you pray for somebody, it gives God the legal right to come into their life. Now, he still cannot, you cannot pray for him to override their will. You, it's never the right prayer to say, God, uh, make them see such and such. You can ask them that their eyes will be open, but you can, or make them decide such and such. That's witchcraft. You cannot pray that the Lord would override somebody's will or make them do something. Never the right thing. But we can pray that God would help them to see, that God would make it clear, that God would send laborers, that they would be hooked up with the right things, that they would have the opportunity, but the person still needs to act. So with offense, people can decide stubbornly, no, I won't see that person. No, I'm going to walk away. And at some point, God is, he has a desire to bless somebody to help them, but they can put themselves in a position where God would have to override their will, and he will not do that. 
So we need to be careful with ourselves that we don't put ourselves in a position where we're actually cutting off the blessings of God. We've talked some about that. There is always, it is always the desire of the enemy to trip us up. And one of the way he, ways he does this is by getting us offended. The Proverbs 18, 19 says, A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And contentions are like bars of a castle. The New Living Translation says an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. That's a strong statement, like what we said. That, that's not just, you know, a, a, a small task. It's saying offended friends, somebody that is truly offended, is harder to win back than taking a fortified city. That means a city that has its defenses up for you to overtake that city is actually less difficult than winning back somebody that's really offended. That's a strong statement. That's saying offense is powerful. Offense can get you in a place where it is harder, it is actually uh, easier to take a military target than to get back on the right path. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. That, that's a strong, that's saying people can be divided such that it's actually like there's bars of iron separating them. Now let's read a couple more scriptures. We'll get into kind of the main focus for tonight. Again, if you didn't hear some of these, go back and listen to the messages before. We'll be a blessing and these will uh, mean more to you. Revelation 12, verse 10. We don't have to turn to these. We'll just put them up. It says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. This is, of course, talking about Satan. That he is the accuser of the brethren. He will bring thoughts. He will bring accusations against people. And, and we'll talk about this, he will bring accusations against God. He will accuse God to you. He will accuse your spouse to you. He will accuse your employer to you. He will accuse your pastor to you. He, he will, he's always negative. He is always trying to get division in there. But it is the source, the source of those things is the enemy. Uh, Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Now, we've talked about this some, and we're not going to really focus on this part, but it says, Be angry and do not sin. It is possible to be angry and not to sin. Anger is not a sin. It's how you handle it. The, the, the emotion of anger, the Bible says God is, has, is angry. We just read some of that on Sunday. God got angry with Moses. Well, was God sinning? No, he wasn't sinning. Of course he wasn't sinning. You can be angry, but it's how you handle it. There's a right and wrong way to handle anger. But it says, uh, do not let the sun go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. That means anger can be an avenue for Satan to get into your life. And a lot of times you're angry because you're offended. We get ticked at something and we're tempted to get mad. You know, flat out mad, not just anger, but you know, you just lose it. Or, or handle things, say things you shouldn't. Well, there's always a, a 
potential there. Now James 1.12, go ahead and turn there quick. We did touch on this at the end of last time, but really um, want to spend some time in this direction tonight. James 1, verse 12. I want to talk to you tonight. We, 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 uh, we referred to it some last week in, in one vein. And we talked about how the word comes. Satan will try to get you offended, try to steal the word from you. The word will change your life. But if he can get you offended at the truth, you know, a truth is coming and being preached or you're reading it. If he can get you offended, get you angry, get you like, well, you know, why are they saying it that way? Or I don't like the color of his shirt or what's that going on over there? I mean, anything to get you offended to get you to release the word. And a lot of times there is, um, if something is hitting you, you find yourself getting angry when you're actually hearing the word. That is a red flag. You better very much listen to what's going on because the truth may be going for, forth that you, can set you free and Satan will do everything he can to get you to be offended at it, to drop it, to go against the word somehow. And we talked about that some last week. Satan is always doing this. Well, he is always, though, another aspect. He is accusing God to you. He will try to get you offended at the Lord. Because if he can get you offended at God and separated from God, you're in trouble whether you, me, anybody. God is our protector. God is our source. But we walk in this earth, and we do have an adversary, and one thing he loves to do is lie about God and get people divided from him. Christian or not Christian? If he can lie about the Almighty before somebody has ever believed on Jesus, he pushes them away. There is no God. God isn't just. God, you know, was responsible for that accident that took your loved one. God put that disease on, you know, he will lie and people will just hold God at an arm's length before they ever get to know him. Then people come into the family of God and he will, he will the enemy will try to get people divided from the Lord. God didn't show up. God didn't help you. You did everything you knew to do. Where was God? James 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation and shadow of turning. 
Verse 16, do not be deceived. Is it possible to be deceived on this topic then? And let me just say this. We live in this life, it's a fallen world. This is not heaven. Anybody understand? This is not how God created it originally, and this is not where we're going. And there, you know, there's a, the world has fallen, there's, Satan is in the world. God sent Jesus so that we could, that he could take back the authority from Satan for the Christian to walk in this world. But we are surrounded by death and destruction in every form. Death in relationships, death in people's bodies, death in uh, just the interactions, the world system. And Satan will go about using the fact that we're in a fallen world, and using our ignorance, essentially, because we don't know everything, and lie and tell you that somehow God was responsible and, and, uh, for, for something bad that happened in your life, bad that happened in somebody else's life, and that somehow, basically, he failed. Now, he is a known liar and a deceiver, and this scripture right here is telling us, do not be deceived. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from where? It's from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation in shadow of turning. This is saying God is good. He brings good gifts and He does not change. He does not, and we read it. You know, we preached a message, preached a message a week and a half ago called God is Faithful. And you can go back and listen to that. We covered some of these things uh, as far as God's faithfulness, but he does not change and he does not play favorites. He did not become unfaithful to you last week and he did not become faithful to you this week. He didn't mess up and he didn't all of a sudden show up. He has been constant the whole time. He has always been true. And He is a good God, and we need to understand that anything good that we see is a reflection of Him. Satan comes to twist things. He's a deceiver. He's, he perverts the good things of God, and then he lies to men and tells them it's God's fault. And what's the end goal? Get you separated from God. He's separated from God, and He always will be. And he's trying. He hates God and he hates anything associated with God, that means anybody, he hates mankind. And he destroys them every chance he, can, he gets. And if we don't understand the way he works, then we'll fall prey to his deception. Hebrews 12, 14, let me just read this to you. It says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Now this is talking specifically about your relationships with other people, but God is our Father. And make no mistake, the same things that try to get in with our Human relationships will try to get in with your relationship with God. 
you can be separated and become bitter at God. And just because you've walked with God a long time, we need to understand, we need to stay on guard that any thought that would ever impugn him is wrong. When the dust settles, he's right. Whether we see it or not, he's right. He never failed anybody. But the, the, we have to watch it because Satan will work overtime trying to get you bitter, a root of bitterness springing up. It will defile you. It will get you to where you see that in everything. It just can start, I, you know, where was God? I, you know, I was trying to believe for that. What happened? And the implication is God failed. But that's never the case. He has never failed. And so we need to understand that we can be offended with, with God. We can be offended with the Almighty. Luke 6, 37 says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. In the Amplified Classic, it says, Judge not, neither pronouncing judgment nor subjecting to censure, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and pronounce guilty, and you will not be condemned and pronounced guilty. Acquit and forgive and release. Give up resentment, let it drop, and you will be acquitted, forgiven, and released. Again, Jesus is talking about relationships with your fellow men, but you know people judge God? Think about it. They judge God unfaithful. God, where were you? What is that? That's a judgment. Because, you know, with people, you could say, I think they were thinking this. They said that, but I think they really meant this. That's judging somebody. You, we have no business judging the heart of somebody. That doesn't mean you just ignore actions. Judging somebody is determining why everything happened, what their motives were, and God's the only one qualified to know that. He's the only one that knows the heart and sees everything and knows. You may see, well, it's so obvious this person did this because of this and they should know better. You have no business, I have no business trying to make that judgment. Now, we can deal with outcomes and we can deal with behavior and we don't need to ignore that. If somebody is doing something over and over, you need to be smart enough to just move on. Being a Christian does not mean being a doormat. But judging somebody is a different thing. Coming to where you believe you know why somebody did something, just deal with the outcome. They did this, so therefore this. I don't care why they did it. What do they do? But you know, people do that with God. And they judge the Almighty. Now this sounds almost ridiculous on the surface, and, but we understand this happens all the time. And we have to watch it in our own life because Satan will bring this up. Where was God is judging the Almighty unfaithful? Like he didn't want to help me. Where was he? What was he doing? I don't know, but I did everything I was supposed to do. What is that? That can make you bitter. That will destroy your life if you let it. Because that's getting in, separating you from your source. If we're a Christian, if we've, think about it, you know, if you've, if you've trusted God through Jesus for your eternal security and then in something temporal that you don't think you saw everything happen the way you think it should happen when we know for a fact 
we don't see completely clearly and know everything, and then we're judging the one that we're trusting to take care of us eternally based on something that we see partially, that's foolish. But this is a trap that it, emotion comes in. What, 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 what happened here? And you will have help for those thoughts. And the goal is get you separated from God. You're just not quite the same. You're like, well, I don't know. You know, you may go through and you're reading your Bible, but you know, you've been here and I have too. You're reading it and you read the same scripture like 15 times and you just keep looping on it because you're not really reading it. Your mind's someplace else and you read it and you realize you're at the end of the paragraph and you go back up and you read it again and it didn't do any good. Reading out loud will help. It does. Read a scripture and find out, because then your ears at least got to pay attention, plus it's going in your ears. But, you know, you're spacing out because you're thinking about how this really didn't go down, and now you're, you're reading something else that the Bible's saying, inspired by the Lord, but you're not receiving anything of it in it. Your relationship is already being affected. People will yell and shake their fist and scream at God. Why God? Do you realize that's a judgment? That's not, if we understood who we're speaking to. We don't know. We don't see everything. But he's the one that's faithful. He's faithful. We need to settle that in our hearts that anything that would try to divide us is wrong. We don't see it. We don't see everything clearly. And we touched on this some. You know, in that message, God is faithful, but we don't see everything, but that's just because we don't understand is not the time to start impugning Him and judge Him. We need to stay on God's side all the time. Psalm 105, 16, don't turn there, we'll um, just read it. Psalm 105, 16 says, Moreover, he called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. Now this is talking about jo the, the situation with Joseph. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. This is talking about, you know, Joseph, he told his, he saw a dream and he told his brothers, I'm going to rule over you, basically. They didn't like that very much. They faked his death and sold him into slavery, and then uh, he was a slave, and then he got thrown into prison and had a long time. But notice, it, didn't, it, it said that the word of the Lord tested him. Now, I'll read that in a few other translations. Psalm 105, uh, same, same scripture in the Amplified. It says, until the time of his word that his word of prophecy regarding his brothers came true, the word of the Lord tested and refined him. In the voice, we don't have that. Were you able to type that in or I just, I'll just read it? Uh, that it says, his word tested Joseph and provided or proved him worthy. The word of the Lord proved him. He wasn't testing God's word. The word of God was testing Joseph. Because the word of God is settled forever. God doesn't need to be proven. God's word is true. What God says will come to pass. We need to understand that they, his word is settled. It's not his word that needs to be proved. It's us. 
So when something doesn't look right, stay on God's side. Stay on his side and say, wait a minute, I know God's word is right. I know he does what he says he's going to do. Let me read you a few other scriptures. Isaiah 46, 8. It says, remember this and show yourselves men. Recall to mind, you, O you transgressors, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Just think about it. There is no being in the universe that's in the same class as he is. He's it. Not even in the same class. He's in a class all by himself. Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning. This is what he does. From, and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do my pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it, period. God does what he says he's going to do, period. Men cannot say that. The best men on the planet fail. God will never fail. We're tempted to get offended with men. We're tempted to get offended with God. We need to know God has never done anything that's worthy of offense. Men have. Men deserve it at times. God does not. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are, my ways, or nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. In the New Living Translation, we'll just read verse 11. It says, It is the same with my word. I send it out. It always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Do we get the right... It will accomplish all I want it, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. His word always is true. So what if it doesn't look like something worked the way we thought it should work in our life? Is it God who failed? It's never him. What if we get offended with him and walk away or get miffed for a few days? That is completely wasted time. We can save ourselves a whole lot of trouble and say, well, I may, be, I may have emotion, I may have thoughts, I may not understand, but one thing I know, God is faithful and His Word always produces, so I'm not going to waste any time going down that path of being offended at God. I will not let that in, any thoughts, I will shut them down, I will push against them because I, I understand their source, I understand they're false. I understand by their very nature they are lies because God has never failed. So I am not going to entertain a lie. I will not believe a lie. And I will go right back to God. I don't know what happened here. I don't seek everything, but you know. And I am going to humble myself before you. Lord, you 
You show me. I will not be offended at you. I will glorify you and say you are the Almighty. You are in a class by yourself. Lord, help me. Show me. Help me to the next step. And he will. He has a way out. But the sure way to go down into a corner that we don't want to be in is to start impugning him. That's not going to get us anywhere. That is foolish. It's completely a waste of our time and way worse because it can take us away from the very help we need. Praise God. Let's go over to John 11. We're going to look at an example of where, uh, you know, there's some people that got offended here and then there's some individuals that could have got offended but didn't and we see God Jesus coming through. I'm going to go ahead and read uh, while you're going to John 11. Can you put up 2 Peter? I want to, I want to get this in and then we'll... Um... No, actually we'll come back. We'll, we'll read 2 Peter later. Let's go, let's go with John and then I may, well, maybe we'll insert it, but... We'll get through this. So this, this is the account of Lazarus. So Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they, Jesus stops and, and has had meals with them and knows them. Say so they're friends. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha, it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sis, the sister sent him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So they sent to him. Their brother's sick, and they sent to Jesus and say, Lazarus is sick, please come. And this is the way Jesus responded. Jesus heard that and he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, we're not going to dive into this right now. God, you, if, you're gonna, if you would say that somehow God was doing this specifically for Lazarus to get healed, you'd have to contradict other scripture. That somehow God is doing this on person, bringing the sickness in so then he can heal it. No, he's saying right here, this sickness is not going to end in death. But it's going to be for the glory of God, and you will see that. That the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, now, he loves them, and they just asked him to go. So surely his next step is, he goes as fast as he can to Lazarus because he's got to save his life. Right? No. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. That's just a funny sentence to me. He heard that they were sick, or heard that he was sick, and he loved them, so he stayed two more days. But we know Jesus was completely led by the Spirit of God at all times. Then after... After this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. So can we skip down to verse 17? We'll skip some of the middle. They're, they're talking about, you know, is he dead? He's saying he sleeps. And well, if he sleeps, he'll get well. And they're like, okay, he's dead, guys. I'm just using figurative light. We'll skip some of that. 
Verse 17, So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Mary, uh, Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would, have not, would not have died. Now right there, she could go in a bad direction. And just making this statement, she's saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now her next statement is telling. She said, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. But she knows, we sent for you, you did not come. My brother's dead. If you would have come earlier, he would not have died. That's the first thing she said to him. And she's talking to God. I mean, put yourself in this position. People have been here. What happened? Where were you? You should have been here, God. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again, the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And then when she said these things, she went away and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were out in her uh, with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up and quickly went out, following her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Those are the exact same words that Martha said. First thing she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, or when he did, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? Again, this dude opened the eyes of the blind and did all this. Couldn't he have done something here? See, they're questioning like that. Now we'll see some other ones here that just flat out went against Jesus. But verse 38, Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead four days. So she's telling now God. He says, Take away the stone. She's telling him, well, you know, it's going to stink. Because poor old Jesus does not, he doesn't know this. Do you realize we do the same thing sometimes? God, you want me to do what? Don't you know? Of course he knows. I tell you what, if we, if we become more aware, I'm not talking about in a, 
derogatory way as far as our relationship with God. Because we are not a dog. We are not. Jesus paid a high price for us. We are children of the Almighty. But we're not the Almighty. He is the Almighty. Thank God for what Jesus did and that we, we are seated with Him in heavenly places. But we're not God. We ought to watch how we speak to our Father. And, you know, I'll just be honest with you. Uh, in, in current day, over a period of time, there's an over-familiarity. Thank God God is our Father, but there's a reverence that's been lost with Him. He's still God. And this type of questioning, you know, we do it, we have a ten, we can be tempted to do it. Well, God, what's this? What that? Any kind of tone like that is arrogance. Do we understand who we're talking about and with? If we'll come back to, I know about this much, and you know, and that's an exaggeration, and you know everything. Lord, what could I have done different? What do we do now? How do we get out? But coming and asking any question that's kind of accusatory is just foolish. That's the wrong response anytime. He has the answer no matter what it looks like. He had the answer when a guy's dead for multiple days. Most people would say, you're too late. And Mary, or I mean, Martha feels uh, obliged to point this out. The body's going to stink, Lord. By this time... There's a stench. He's been dead for four days. But Jesus knew what he was doing. Verse 40, he said to her, Did I not say to you, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Evidently, she believes. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. You guys have just a couple more minutes. We're bumping up against time here, but you all right? We don't want to go over too much, but I'd like to wrap this up. Then, then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had said, seen the things Jesus did believed in him, but some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. So don't ever say if people would just see miracles, they'd believe. They'd have the opportunity to believe. That doesn't mean they would believe. People can harden their hearts in the face of anything. They just saw a man raised from the dead. And yet people were like, we're going to tell the Pharisees. We're going to get him in trouble. Then the chief priests and Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. Did they say, he must be the son of God. We need to go after him. No, they're trying to figure out. This is a problem. This guy keeps doing all these miracles. How can we stop? How can we get around this? In the face of the miracles, they are figuring out what they're going to do to go around it. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. <laughs> That's their concern. 
And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So they're concerned about themselves. And so then, the skip down to verse 55, the Passover of the Jews was near, and many of the country came up to Jerusalem before the Passover to pur purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he, would come, uh, that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it, that they might seize him. So these people are clearly offended with Jesus. They do not believe him. They are trying to kill him. They are putting the word out that if anybody sees him, they're gonna, we need to seize this guy. It doesn't matter that he's seen, they've seen miracles. They don't believe God's good. They don't like Jesus. They are against it. They are hardened. But somewhere down the line, they, they were offended with God. They were offended at what Jesus was doing. They were, offend, they were protecting themselves. They were protecting their tradition. And they did not go after him. They did not yield to, uh, to what God was doing. Let me read you this, what I was going to read, read you in Second Peter, and then we'll close here. 2 Peter 3, verse 1. Beloved, beloved now I now write to you this second epistle in, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. 2 Peter 3, verse 1. Verse 2 now. That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before of the, by the holy prophets and by the last commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. What is that? That is mocking. That is God's wrong. What? When is this going to change? This has been going on forever. This is scoffing. This is mocking. This is separated and and. Evidently, these individuals don't even know who they're mocking and don't even know who they're separated from. But this is where it can lead. Verse 8, it talks about, um, well, let's just read it, I guess. Verse 5, For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water, but the heavens and earth, which are now preserved by the same word, the word of God, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Verse 8, But beloved, do not forget this one thing with the Lord. One day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. He's not slack concerning any promise, like we read. He will always do what he said he was going to do. He says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is the heart of God. God does not fail. God does not fail to keep His Word. His Word is always true, always what He said, and we need to stay on His side all the time. If we that one thing will get us through the hardest times, if we don't understand, 
If we don't understand what's going on, if we don't understand what's, what's happening, why? It looks like God failed. It looks like God didn't show his, Himself strong. It looks like His Word did fail. If we will, even if we are, you know, distraught and emotion is bearing down on us, if we will, through our tears, go, God, you're faithful. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what I've heard. I don't care what I've seen. You are a faithful God. I know you always keep your word. I'm not going to waste one minute being mad at you. I have emotion. I don't feel like everything's right, but I know you're faithful. I will not turn my anger toward you. That will get you through a time when Satan would love to pick you off. And this has what has happened to untold thousands, if not millions of people. Something happened in their lives. Could have been big, could have been small, could have started small, got big, could have been the loss of a loved one, something. And the thought came, God, where were you? I prayed, I did such and such. What happened? And instead of going to God, because maybe of ignorance, didn't, they weren't taught, they were young, they didn't have somebody to go talk to them, uh, any number of reasons, they blamed him and were separated from God for decades could be the rest of their life. And when you bring God up, I don't want to talk about Him. And there's this bitterness. What is that? It's offense. Satan has successfully disconnected another person from the one that is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's long suffering. He is the, he's the Father. He's wanting to help yet he, somebody has been disconnected because they judged him unfaithful. And this is something we just need to be aware of in our lives so that never happens to us. Even a little bit, even for an hour, and it will, the, the temptation will come to all of us. And in that temptation, we have to judge him faithful and realize this is false. God's true. I won't bite. Amen.